Um, think, think for a minute to yourself, you know, how do you handle pressure? You know, when you have maybe a tough conversation that you know you have to have with someone, maybe a, a friend or a coworker or a child of yours, you just know this is going to be tough. Or, you know, you're in just a stressful situation. You know, maybe uh, there's a job loss. You're dealing with the financial strain and stress that comes with that. But how do you handle the pressure? How do you deal with it when it just feels like, man, there's so much going on, so much stress, so much to, to, to deal with in this situation? Uh, what's amazing to me is how some people, it seems like under stress and pressure, just kind of rise to the occasion. You know, it kind of brings out the best in them. Whereas for others, it seems like the pressure almost kind of makes them crumble. Um, and they're not re- really able to kind of stand in the midst of that as well. And um, I know I was thinking about uh, one of the, the people that came to my mind. So I was thinking about pressure and just what would it have been like to be in that situation um, was a guy that uh, many of you, probably all of you, but um, have heard of. And uh, my wife and I were watching that movie solely on Captain Sullenberger um, and about that flight back in January 2009. Um, and just to kind of remind you, you know, kind of what happened. So you had Captain Sullenberger. He was uh, flying this, this plane out of LaGuardia Airport in New York City. And about three minutes into the takeoff, um, they hit a flock of birds, and it takes out both engines. Um, and so they're 2,800 feet off the ground, and he has to decide, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do in this moment? Um, and, you know, it's hard to imagine what it would have been like being in that cockpit as you're deciding Okay, should we turn back? Should we travel five miles back to LaGuardia and try and land there? Should we try and divert to New Jersey and land there? You know, what should we do? Knowing whatever decision is made carries life and death consequences with it. Um, And it was just striking to me to see how he was just so cool and calm and collected um, in that cockpit as they were recreating, you know, what happened. Um, That he didn't freak out. The pressure didn't kind of, uh, you know, cause him to make any quick decision. But he just said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. You know, it may seem kind of crazy at the time, but it's the best option out of all the bad options we have is to land on the Hudson. And just the the miracle that it was, I know, for all of us who watched it and saw it, but it's just striking how he handled pressure and how uh, that stress and strain that I'm sure for many people would have just got to them and caused them to maybe make some quick, rash decision. For him, he remained calm. And it directly impacted his life and the life of all those passengers on board as well. And today, as we look at uh, John 18, we're going to look at how two people responded to the the pressure of the situation when they were under some immense strain and stress, uh, how one stood tall and stood firm in the midst of that, and the other, the pressure just was kind of too great and and really floundered in the midst of that as well. So if you want to turn to John 18, we're going to start at verse uh, uh, 12, just to kind of pick up where we left off last week. And um, if you remember last week, um, kind of where we were is that Jesus has just been arrested, and um, that's kind of where we're picking up now. He's been arrested, and so in verse 12 in chapter 18, um, let's look at what it says. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? 
He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. So let's pause there just, just for a second to kind of give you a, a quick recap of what, what we covered. So you have Jesus arrested. He's brought to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest. And I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I thought, okay, why? You know, why isn't he brought to Caiaphas? Why is he brought to the father-in-law of the high priest? That seems kind of strange, you know, kind of unusual. That didn't kind of catch you when we first read it. Hopefully it does now. Um, but I was reading about this and going, okay, why is that? What's, what's going on there? And really what's going on is Caiaphas was the patriarch of this high priestly family, you could say. He was the official high priest from about 6 to 15 AD, but then his five sons and his one son-in-law all became high priest during different years after that as well. And so he was really seen kind of unofficially as like the highest of the high priests, the patriarch of this whole family. So even though this, he wasn't officially the high priest that year, uh, they still saw him and looked to him as someone who had immense clout and immense influence over the people. And so that's why they brought Jesus to him first, before going to Caiaphas. And then it's almost as if, you know, it shifts from this focus of Annas and Jesus, um, and then like the camera pans, you know, over to, uh, over to uh, Peter. And you see Peter, who's outside, he's following with another disciple who uh, some people think is uh, probably John, since the Apostle John, um, you know, doesn't normally refer to himself by name in the Gospel of John. Usually it's like the beloved disciple or, you know, something like that. And so a lot of people think this could have been John, but, but we'll just say for the sake of argument, it's John. John is in the courtyard already because for some reason he's known by the high priest. You know, maybe he's got some priestly blood, you know, in his family history or, you know, for some other means he's there. But Peter's on the outside. And so you just picture this scene where um, John's coming over to the slave girl who's the doorkeeper going, hey, can you, can you let my buddy in? Can you let my buddy in, into the inside here? And you can just imagine, I mean, she's thinking, okay, this must be maybe another disciple as well. And so she's asked, you're not another disciple too, are you? Um, and Peter goes, no, no, I'm not. You know, and you're wondering, okay, why? Is he just trying to be inconspicuous? Is he trying to say, no, he's just my friend, but I'm not with Jesus that he follows as well. Um, it's kind of an odd scene when he first denies Jesus here, um, denies being a disciple of him. And then let's pick up again in verse 19 and read the second half of the, the section. So it says the high priest turns back again to Annas and Jesus. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Uh, and this is warming himself again back with the uh, uh, high priest, servants, and guards. So he's warming himself with them. And one of them said to, to Peter, You also are not one of, these, one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. And so it's interesting, you know, it starts again with Annas, uh, who's this kind of unofficial high priest, you know, the, the patriarch of the family. 
um, asking Jesus these questions. And that in itself is kind of a little bit unusual because typically with a trial, they wouldn't ask the accused any questions. They would just ask all the witnesses that they brought to testify about this person, you know, what they saw, what they heard this person do. But instead here, uh, we just have Annas questioning Jesus. And Jesus' response is, is interesting because he says, you of all people should know, you know, what I taught, who I am. I didn't hide it. I didn't do it in secret. Um, I did it in all kinds of places and all different ways. It's, this was open and this was something that you should know of. Obviously, I mean, he didn't like that. That soldier didn't like it. That struck him right after that. Um, and you, again, I remember Jesus' response, you know, of going, what did I say wrong? You know, if I said something wrong, um, uh, tell me what that is. And so you have Jesus just standing there, I mean, kind of calmly responding to Annas. I mean, not as, as what you would expect if it was someone else there. Uh, being before this high priest, you would have had some fear, some trepidation. You would have been, you know, really kind of, I guess, taken aback a little bit, you know, not as bold and strong as Jesus was. But yet he's just calm and cool and collected. And then we turn to Peter again. He's, he's warming himself by that fire. So someone there, I mean, you can just imagine thinking, okay, it's the middle of the night. Uh, there's these servants of the high priest and these guards warming themselves and then going, who's this guy? Who's this guy that's here in the middle of the night warming himself by this fire? He must be interested in Jesus or maybe following Jesus. It's only natural that they would ask him, are you one of his disciples? Is that, that why you're here? And again, he denies it. And then it's, it's most striking to me, the last person that asked him. Did you notice who that was? It was a guy who said he was there in the garden, who was the brother, the cousin, you know, some relative of Malchus, which was the guy Peter cut the ear off of. And he's saying, hey, I was there. I saw you cut my cousin's ear off. No, no, that wasn't me. That was somebody else. That wasn't me. I mean, it's kind of striking when you read that. Peter's still not willing to admit, yeah, I was there. You caught me. You know, yeah, that was your cousin. I cut, cut his ear off. Um, he doesn't say that at all. He just denies it. Nope, that wasn't me. I'm not a follower uh, of Jesus again. And so today, uh, as we look at this, um, it's striking, you know, just the contrast between Peter and Jesus, how Jesus really stood firm in the midst of that pressure, you know, didn't allow it to change uh, what he was about or his response to Annas. Um, but then you had Peter who under this pressure, you know, just kind of wilted um, and just, just ended up denying Jesus. And if you heard last week, um, you'll remember Greg uh, gave us four questions to ask when you're reading the scripture on your own or even kind of collectively uh, that you can always ask. And we're going to just ask those same four questions today as we look at this section of scripture too. Um, and so the first question is this. What do we learn about God from this scripture, from this section of scripture? So I'm going to give you just a couple, couple brief observations just that I made as I was looking at this, and then we'll focus on one main one altogether. Uh, but just one of the initial ones I, I thought of uh, that struck me here is how God is humble enough to be put on trial by us. I mean, you think about that. Jesus, who could have in that moment when he was on trial, you know, called down any angels to just wipe these people out or take care of the soldier that just uh, hit him. Uh, he didn't do any of that. He was humble enough to go, you know, I'm going to go through this. I'm going to let him ask me these questions. I'm going to respond to it. Um, and this wasn't a singular act of humility of Jesus humbling himself and showing that humility. You'll see this time and time again from here forward as he was willing to endure the scorn, the shame, the torture, um, and ultimately his death on the cross. Um, he knew why he came. He knew the purpose behind it. And so he was humble. He didn't have to go through it, but he was humble and chose humility multiple times. The other thing that struck me in this passage was just how God knows the future. Maybe you didn't see it in this passage, but 
a few hours earlier in the night, um, look at what Jesus told Peter. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so you have this reminder. I mean, Jesus knew hours beforehand, Peter's going to deny me. You know, Peter, who is the most bold guy, the most courageous guy up to this point, yep, he's going to be the one that's going to turn his back on me as well. And then just the third initial uh, observation I made is just God's patience and grace with Peter especially. Um, You know, Peter was always a guy to kind of act rashly, to kind of make quick decisions, you know, to kind of be the first in. And yet even in this moment of um, kind of difficulty for Jesus, I mean, even when for anyone else, you would think how easy it would be to just heap scorn or shame or just to, to respond in a negative way. I mean, if a, a close friend to you denied even knowing you when it was an hour of need for you, I mean, wouldn't that really scar you and kind of hurt deeply? And yet for Jesus, we're going to see a couple chapters after this in chapter 21, how he was still gracious with Peter. He restored him. He loved him. He uh, uh, didn't allow this to be something to destroy that relationship that he had with Peter. But the main thing I want to look at about God in this section is this, uh, how God has revealed himself openly to the world. If you remember back in verse 20 and 21, Jesus made it very clear. Um, I did not hide who I am. I didn't hide what I taught, what I'm about. I openly shared it in synagogues, in the temple, in all kinds of places, to all kinds of people. I didn't try and hide who I was, uh, but I openly shared that. And yet for the Pharisees and the religious leaders, I mean, they totally totally missed it. Uh, They just decided this is a false prophet. He's spreading, you know, bad stuff. We're going to get rid of him. That's the easiest thing, the most expedient thing to do. We're going to kill him. Uh, They had their minds made up. Even though Jesus was honestly telling them who he was and what he was about, their minds were made up. And um, I I can't help but but think, you know, as a result of this, how, um, you know, it's easy sometimes before you're a Christian to already have ideas of who Jesus is. Uh, The challenging thing is to kind of set those aside and look for yourself at who Jesus is. Not just who others have said he is, but to look for yourself. And if you're here and maybe you're just having questions, you never placed your faith in Christ, I would just encourage you, spend some time reading through the Gospels on your own. Uh, Reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John on your own. um, Just to see what did Jesus say? What did he do? And to kind of decide for yourself um, as a result of all that who he is. For those of us who uh, have walked with Christ for a while, I encourage you not to take this for granted, that God's revealed himself openly to us. I mean, Jesus did that, but then we also have the scriptures. I mean, God didn't hide who he is, what he's about, what his will is, that he's given it to us, but yet it's easy to take it for granted, isn't it? It's easy to not spend time reading his word, easy to not spend time kind of uh, discovering, you know, what what did Jesus say? What is he calling me to do? And uh, I know there's been times for me where just in reading, it's almost like my mind shuts off. You know, maybe you've been there where you're going, okay, yep, I read that before, you know, I know Jesus is going to do that next. And you're just reading all along and your mind just kind of shuts off. And if you've ever been there, or maybe you're there now, I'd encourage you, um, start reading the Bible in a new translation, different translation. I mean, on your phone or on the, uh, online, you could pull up uh, an app for the Bible or Bible.com, I think, is even one where there's 20 translations. You can just read a new one. And it'll give you a fresh set of eyes as you go, oh, did he really say that? Uh, Because you're just used to what you've heard in the past as well. And so I want to encourage you, maybe that's something to help you um, if you're a follower of Christ and maybe you're just feeling like uh, it's easy to just gloss over what the scriptures say and not take them in. 
um, as well. So that leads to the second question then that I want to look at today. And that's this. What do we learn about man or mankind or humanity from this section? I want to look at um, three things. First is this. That mankind is willing to manipulate or ignore the truth to get what he wants. I mentioned this a little earlier about the high priests, the religious leaders who were there. They had heard about who Jesus is. They knew what he taught. This wasn't news to him, but they decided to reject that, to push that aside and go, no, no, that's not true. This is a false prophet. We're going to kill this guy. We know who he is. They already decided. And they, they just decided in their mind to um, kill him. And as they're doing that, it's, it's almost as if they're saying, you know, this is what we're justified in doing. Because this is the right path. This is the right decision to make. Um, they don't seem to have any remorse over this. It's like, yeah, this is what we need to do. They had taken the truth that they had heard and just uh, rejected it and twisted it and acted in a totally contrary way. And you think about how that's not something new. I mean, we've seen that all throughout history in extreme examples and in small examples, too. I mean, a couple of ex- ex- more extreme, you know, larger examples. You think about that uh, with the Nazis in World War II, you know, killing millions of Jews and uh, disabled and undesirables um, during that time. And yet, uh, so often when people were put on trial because they were a part of this, they asked, why, why did you do that? Why did you take part? They said, I was just following orders. I mean, to, to them, they thought, it's okay what I'm doing because I'm just following orders. I was told to do this. They're, they're doing something that they know uh, at the end of the day may not be right, but they're twisting the truth and going, you know what? It's probably okay. I'm being ordered to do this. I'm just going to go ahead with it. You think about other more current ones, like with the genocides that have taken place in different countries, uh, where one group you know, just ends up kind of dehumanizing the other or coming up with a reason why it's okay that we're doing this. Uh, but you think about also small ways. We, we twist the truth or ignore the truth. Um, my wife, Cammie, was telling me about a story she saw, um, and it was about this uh, softball team. And uh, in this game that they were having, um, the crowd was getting pretty upset of some of the calls being made by this umpire. And then you hear kind of the umpire call ball after ball on these pitches that were given. And then you see the team kind of gather around the mound with the coach, and you don't know what he says, but it's pretty apparent afterwards what he said. Um, because right after this, the pitcher takes the mound, the batter's back in the box, pitcher throws the ball, and as soon as the pitcher threw the ball, the catcher got out of the way because they were intentionally trying to hit the umpire, um, thinking, hey, this is what he deserves, um, I'm sure, you know, thinking we're justified in doing this. Um, it's a small thing, but I'm sure in the moment they were thinking, there's nothing wrong with this, you know, this is what this guy gets for calling these bad plays, for making these bad decisions here. Um, And it's just a small way to twist the truth, to justify yourself, to think, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And we can can adopt that same mindset today. Second observation we learn is under pressure, man may fail to stand as a witness for Christ. I mean, we can see this in the life of Peter, who again, I said, you know, Peter's the guy you would not expect this from. I mean, Peter's the guy who boldly declared, you are the Christ. Uh, when everyone else was kind of figuring out who is this Jesus guy. I mean, Peter's the guy who would get out of the boat and walk on the water towards Jesus. I mean, Peter's the guy that uh, just earlier in chapter 13, I mean, told Jesus this. Jesus said uh, right before this, you can't follow me. Uh, Where I'm going, you can't go. And so Peter responds as Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. I mean, this is the Peter who boldly will declare this, who's in the garden again. And in the garden, he's the one to pull his sword out and to try and kill these other guys. 
but obviously we know he's not very good at that because all he got was an ear, you know, out of anything from them. Uh, But this was Peter, bold, courageous, you know, ready to be there. And yet under that pressure, I mean, he just wilted. And that's something that can happen um, to anyone. Luckily for Peter, I mean, his denial isn't the end of his faith. We'll see later again in chapter 21, his restoration, that this isn't the end for him. And really he'll have other opportunities in the future where he will stand for Christ boldly, proclaiming who he is in, in spite of severe opposition. And then the third thing about man uh, from this one is that man's sin is not greater than God's power and grace. You know, it's easy if, if you were to put yourself into Peter's shoes. I mean, to really think, what would that have been like if you were in his shoes in that situation? Um, you know, he just denied the Lord multiple times. And in John, we don't kind of get a, a, a really big description of kind of Peter's response. But in the Gospel of Matthew, notice what it says. So Peter just denied Jesus the third time. And then it says this. And Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus, what Jesus had told him hours before. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. I mean, you can just see with Peter, you know, the weight of his regret, his sorrow, you know, of what he just did. Um, just how easy it would have been for him to think, you know, how could God ever forgive me? How could he ever use me for what I just did? I mean, you can just imagine, I mean, what Peter may be going through in this moment as he's just devastated by what he's done and by what's being done to Jesus. And yet, Peter will be a guy that uh, again, will be restored by Jesus. He'll be the guy to help establish the early church in Jerusalem. He'll be the guy that in uh, chapter three, I think it is in the book of Acts, he'll be boldly proclaiming to thousands of people who Jesus is and what he's done. Seeing many people come to know Christ as a result of this as well. That God was able to take you know, that failure, that denial and redeem it. That his power, his grace, his mercy was far greater than Peter's uh, denial of Jesus in this sense. And I think for you and I, it's a good reminder of how God can redeem sinful, evil actions. Something he's done multiple times throughout the scripture. You look in the Old Testament and you have uh, Joseph who had kind of one setback after another setback after another setback. And yet even towards the end of his life, Joseph said, uh, uh, you know, what was done uh, with the intent of evil or harm towards me, uh, it was meant for that. God was able to use, use it to bring about good. Uh, that he even saw God was able to redeem this, to change it, that his power, his grace, his mercy was far greater. You think of the Apostle Paul, who at one time was the chief advocate against Christianity, killing people, persecuting them, and yet God totally redeemed his story, got a hold of his life, and he ended up being the most prominent missionary to help establish or to strengthen, I mean, tons of churches throughout the Roman Empire to write half the New Testament that we read today. Um, that that's the kind of redemption that God does. And yet the biggest place we see this is in the cross. I mean, at the cross is where people in their, their uh, uh, evil actions decided, okay, we're going to kill this guy who's claiming to be the son of God. We're going to torture him and then we're going to kill him. And yet for us, we realize that it was at the cross that God totally flipped it. That it was because Jesus was willing to go to the cross that our sins can be forgiven, that we can come to know Christ. For them, back in the, the New Testament era, the cross would have been like the guillotine to us today. When you hear the guillotine, you think of torture, you think of death. I mean, there's all these negative images that come to mind. That's what the cross was to them. But yet to us today, the cross is not any of those things, is it? 
The cross is hope, it's life, it's redemption. I mean, it's all of these positive things because God's able to overcome those sinful, evil actions. And it's a good reminder to us. One caveat I'll just mention, though, is, is I hope that's an encouragement, but that may not mean there's not natural consequences from maybe your past or a decision that was made. Um, you know, there may be legal consequences that come as a result of something you've done. God may forgive you from that, show you mercy in it, but you may still have to deal with that. Or relationally, you may have damaged relationships you've got to repair. You've got to do that hard work to get back. But it doesn't have to be something that weighs you down or that controls uh, your future decisions or, or uh, where you're headed, I guess, in that sense. And so it's a good reminder to us of how great God's grace and mercy and power are that's greater than any sinful human actions. So I know in all this, part of it's the way my mind thinks. I'm kind of getting some of the application stuff, but that's kind of our last two questions to think about. What do I learn about myself and what am I going to do about it? And like last week, Greg talked about how these are great questions to always ask as you're reading the scriptures. Not just what did I learn, but okay, did I learn something new maybe about who I am, about where I need to grow? Um, and what am I going to do about it at the end of the day? I'm going to share two with you, but I would encourage you to be thinking as we're going through these two, two things that I'll share, uh, maybe what it is for you. Maybe where, where, what God's bringing up, what he's showing you about yourself or about maybe how you should respond to it. Uh, the first thing is just this that I realized about myself. I don't know myself as well as I think. I mean, just like Peter, who a few hours before said, I'm going to go to the very end with you. He says, no, you're going to deny me three times. And then he walks right into it and does that. He didn't know himself as well as he thought. And I, I've realized as I was reflecting on this text, you know, that's happened to me a lot where God goes, hey, what's going on? You know, kind of shows me a new area of my life. I go, okay, I don't have it together like I thought I did. Um, you know, I need to grow there. I need to allow God to kind of work on me in that area of my life as he exposed that to me. And uh, it's kind of a reminder throughout Scripture, like in Jeremiah 17, that says, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's kind of that reminder of how easy it is to deceive ourselves, to not necessarily see things as they truly are. You know, you can feel like, I kind of have it together. You know, I'm kind of acting like a good moral person, or maybe as a Christian, I'm kind of doing the right things. And yet in the midst of that, God can just kind of remove the scales. And sometimes you realize, okay, I need to grow. I know in my life, I had one of those recently. Uh, some of you know this, but many of you don't. Um, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I started the process to uh, uh, foster to adopt a child. And so at the end of May, we got placed with a, a 14-month-old little happy guy named Christian that we were totally excited about. And it's been a fun new season for us, um, something that we're just totally blessed by. But in the midst of this, um, God kind of revealed something to me as we're learning how to be parents and learning what this entails because he's, he's a toddler. And those of you who have toddlers or maybe you remember what it was like when you had toddlers, you'll remember, I mean, they like to kind of push the limit, to kind of do things their own way. You know, they don't necessarily like you telling them what to do or trying to control them. Um, and I just realized that very quickly um, with him. But what I also realized about myself is uh, uh, I'm not as patient as I think. You know, those of you who know me think like, yeah, he's pretty easygoing, kind of low, you know, uh, kind of low-key, calm, you know, cool and collected, all that. Uh, but then, you know, with, with our, our little guy, uh, just realizing, okay, I'm not as patient as I, I think I am. And part of it is because I, I want him to do what I tell him to do. You know, when he doesn't, I'm not happy with that. 
And uh, it was funny because I learned that pretty quickly during the first few weeks. Uh, like if uh, um, my wife, Cammie, if she was maybe uh, getting some rest or maybe uh, I was just jumping in to do um, um, the feeding for him, as I'm putting, you know, some of the food out for him. You know, like feeding himself, so I'm kind of feeding it there. And then, you know, suddenly a switch hits and he's not feeding himself, he's feeding the floor. You know, he's throwing it, you know, on both sides. You're going, what happened? You like this and now all of a sudden you don't. Um, and so I give him something else and, you know, maybe he does it a little bit again and then does it again. I say, no, don't throw it. Still does it, you know. He's going to do his, do his thing. Um, and I was finding myself getting frustrated, especially, and maybe you've been there, when I would try and feed him like some applesauce on a spoon. And he's like a little ninja. Before you realize it, it's like, bam, and all of it flies everywhere. And you don't even see it coming. And it was like, oh, I'm not just frustrated. I'm getting angry now with this kid. But I just realized, okay, this isn't a new part of me that didn't exist before. I'm just in a different situation, you know, different season now. And God's kind of showing me, okay, you got some work to do in this area. You got some patience you need to, to grow in. You need to let go a little bit of that control as well. And, uh, you know, it just was kind of a season of realizing, okay, there's some areas I need to grow in in this. Um, but the, the great thing's been, I mean, as I've begun to realize that and kind of allow God to work in me in that, I mean, it's, it's, it's also helped so that that frustration, you know, doesn't cloud that whole relationship that I have with them. Because, I mean, as a parent, I'm just starting out, but, I mean, I'm sure there's many of you that would echo that. There's those times it's easy to let that frustration to just cloud that relationship you have with them. You know, instead of seeing them as just this blessing, this gift from the Lord, you know, that oh, it's hard to see that in the midst of that frustration or that tiredness or those other things that come as well. Um, but I realized for me, you know, that's part of, part of what I need to, to, to realize uh, because he really is a little, a little blessing, a little happy guy. And part of it's me just learning, you know, how to be more patient, how to let go a little bit, how to kind of grow and learn as a parent, you know. Okay, let's try some different things to feed him. Don't give him too much stuff because it's going to go everywhere. And some of it's just, hey, he's normal. He's a toddler. That's going to happen um, as well. But for you, maybe to think about, you know, when God reveals a new area of your life, Something that you thought, man, I got it all together in this area, or maybe it's t- totally out of the blue. And God's going, hey, come on, you got to work on this area. You really have kind of two responses. I mean, the one is, I think, to go, okay, God, I'm going to lean into that. I'm going to allow you to reshape me, to make me more like Jesus in this moment, even if it's difficult, even if it's not easy, even if I don't like it. Because I know, you know what, that's who I want to be. I want to be like Christ. I want to grow in character to be like him. But the other response, I think, is, is the easier one. And that's when God reveals an area for you to grow in. It's easy to just reject it, isn't it? Or to push it aside or justify or to excuse it. You know, I just was tired. You know, that's why I responded like that. Or that's just kind of the way I am. You know, that's, that's just kind of how it is. Um, and to just kind of excuse it away rather than, you know, God can continue to work, continue to grow me, continue to make me more like Christ in the midst of this too. So that's, a, that's the first thing I realized. I don't know myself as well as I think I do. Uh, but the second one is this. That I often allow fear to hold me back from being uh, bolder, more courageous, you could say witness for Christ. Again, we think about Peter. He totally buckled under the pressure. He uh, didn't stand firm in the midst of that situation. And yet I realize for me, you know, there's times where I I don't do that as well. Um, And maybe for you, I mean, think for a second, where is it most difficult for you to stand as a witness for Christ? To stand for Christ? to share your faith maybe with others, you know, where is it or who is that with? As I, as I reflected on that, I realized for me, 
kind of the two places that's probably the hardest at times is uh, sometimes with uh, certain extended family members and then uh, with some of our neighbors as well. Uh, with some of our extended family, I realized, um, well, I realized for one, I mean, we are really blessed to have uh, uh, most of our family, you know, faithfully walking with Christ, following him. Uh, but we have some that I just don't know. I don't know where they're at. But I realized, you know, I don't typically pray for them or engage in conversation to just see, hey, where are you at? You know, is there questions you have? Is there anything I can, I can do or I can clarify or I can answer, you know, for you as well? I typically just, when I see them, catch up um, and kind of keep it at the surface. And I realized, you know what, I need to be willing to go beyond that. You know, not in any obnoxious way, but to be praying and looking for opportunities to share Christ with them um, and to engage with them. But the other group, like I said, is... is uh, neighbors, And I realized, you know, a lot of times I'm not as bold with them as I, I should be to really build some bridges, to get to know them. Um, and so one of the things I've started doing with one neighbor that, that we uh, have right next to us is just taking a few minutes, like if I'm getting home and he's outside, to just pause and go talk to him. Go build that bridge there to get to know him. It's easier to just go right inside the house. There's stuff going on, things to do. Um, but I realized, you know what, this is an opportunity for me to step out, to build that bridge, and to see where God may, may lead that relationship in the future. But with a lot of our neighbors, I honestly have not taken that step, you know, beyond maybe just the wave and that's it, uh, to kind of build that bridge with them. And this was kind of a conviction to me to not allow fear, whether it's fear of what they might think, fear of uh, how they might respond to me, you know, whatever fear that might be for me or maybe for you, uh, to stop me from boldly proclaiming Christ and standing for him as well. So as we close, I want to give you just a minute. If you want to just bow your heads, close your eyes for a second. I want you to just think about this. You know, what is God showing you about yourself? And what is he showing you, showing you you need to do in response to that? Whether it's something I mentioned or something that just came out from the text. And so I want to pray for you right now. And then um, the band's going to lead us. And as they do, I want you to just uh, write down whatever God brings to mind. God, uh, for every person here, would you just bring to their mind even now what you're calling uh, them to realize or understand about themselves, and God, what you may be calling them to do in response. God, whether it's something I mentioned or whether it's just something from the scripture today that stood out to them, with each person, would you just speak to them now through your spirit to just bring that to mind for them and then to give them that boldness to just jot that down and to act upon it in the days ahead as well. God, thank you. We praise your name. Amen.